Thanks, Megan. Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning. Bethany, we continue a series, finishing this week, a series uh, around the theme of time for everything. And this morning, in particular, we're looking at uh, the theme, a time for something new, and the, and the new thing is uh, the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll be talking this morning as a community about the Holy Spirit, what it means to receive all that the Holy Spirit has to give us. This may be for some of you new. This may be for some of you unusual. This may be for some of you threatening. So I'll take a moment and pray, and then uh, we'll look at this, and then we'll have an extended response period at the end of at the end of our teaching. Let's pray together. Father, we just pause now. We thank you that before you left physically the earth, you promised that the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit would be a gift that you would leave behind. And so uh, our desire this morning is to not be shaped by uh, my voice, but to be shaped by the voice of the Holy Spirit. So may you speak to each one of us. May the wind of the Holy Spirit blow within these walls, Father, to bring whatever it is that you want to give each one of us and may we not hold back to receiving all that you have for us. And we'll thank you as you shape us to be people of hope. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Who in the room has ever made a bomb out of dry ice? Anyone? Anyone done that? Fewer in this large crowd than this, the 8 a.m. crowd. There's a bunch of bomb makers in the 8 a.m. crowd. The way you do it, and, and I only share this after the kids are gone, right? The way you do it is you take a bottle like this, you put dry ice in it, and you put water in it, and then you close the, you close the lid really tight. And then what happens is the, uh, the dry ice begins to vaporize, and so the pressure builds up, and then the bottle explodes. I didn't know anything about this, except one of the Bible schools where I teach, uh, one of the students said to me, a few students said, hey, want to do some fun this afternoon? I go, sure. They go, we're going to the woods. We go to the woods and they make, they make a bomb and it blows up. And it was a, first bomb they made was a plastic dry ice bomb. And I said, wouldn't it be fun to use a, like a, a gas can? Wouldn't that be fun too? And so they, then they had a metal can and they put the dry ice and the water in and then literally there's shrapnel flying everywhere, right? We put the thing in and then we just covered our heads like this and waited and, and I'm here, so it's okay, but it was uh, crazy. Here's why I share the story, because I want you to get this image in your mind of, boom, a massive explosion, and the reason I want you to have that image is because in Acts 1.8, there's a word. Uh, Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and that word power in the Greek language is the word dunamis, and that word uh, dunamis is the word from which we get the English word, take a wild guess, dynamite, power, right? So uh, we're talking this morning about receiving all that the Holy Spirit wants to give you. And there are times when the Holy Spirit comes quietly. And there are times when the Holy Spirit comes in ways that are powerful to the end that you might live into the calling that God has for you and that we collectively might shine as light. So uh, Jesus reveals this. It's his last word. It's like, hey, I'm leaving. Oh, by the way, Boom! Power, right? So we're going to look at that this morning by, by considering this last encounter that Jesus has with the disciples. And what we'll discover is they're stuck asking old questions. Jesus responds to their old questions by giving them a new identity and a new way of doing life related to the Holy Spirit. And so we begin by looking at the old questions. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has been alive now for about 40 days and uh, he's about to disappear up into the heavens. But in Acts 1, uh, verse 4, he, he says to the disciples, 
Don't depart from Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father. Uh, John baptized with water. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. When they come together, so here they are, and Jesus is about to disappear. They don't know that, but he's about to disappear. They say, and here's the promise. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. And then how do they react? This is what they say. Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's the question. So, what you discover in that question is how quickly and easily they and we default back into old ways of thinking. Does that make sense? In other words, as we're going to see here, this is totally the wrong question. It's the wrong question entirely. By the way, it was Montana Bible School. That's where we made the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> I think you were there. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's I just saw my friend over there and it all came rushing back, the shrapnel, <laughs> mild PTSD, right? So, uh, anyway, back to the sermon. Here we go. So, hey, Jesus, like they've just received a promise. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And instead they go, you know what we really want to talk about? When are we going to be, when is it going to be glorious again for Israel? Because we're Jewish and, you know, you came, there was that Hosanna thing, but then you died, you rose again. We want to know, when do we get power, Right? Like national power, like identity. And here's the thing, Jesus doesn't even answer the question. They ask the question, will you, is this the time? He's, and then he doesn't even answer it. He does, a, he does a redirect. That's what we do with babies, like they're playing with the exacto knife or something, and, and you don't like that as a parent. And so you go, hey, look at this. Here's a stuffed bear. And the kids go, Oh, yeah, awesome. And they drop the exacto knife, and you take the exacto knife, and you throw it away. That's, it's, this is that, right? Jesus redirecting their attention. We're interested in national identity. We're interested in national glory. We're interested in a place of prominence in culture. Jesus says, hey, I got something better over here, right? What I have better is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is very important for this reason. It shows our propensity to think tribally rather than globally. That's what's in their question. In other words, you go all the way back to Genesis 12, what did God say to Israel? Promise Abraham, you're blessed, and then Abraham, like functionally, stops right there. Oh, awesome, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Bring it on, I want blessing, blessing, blessing. But what, is, what does God say in Genesis 12? You're blessed, why? To be a blessing. In other words, I'm not calling you to a place of national prominence for the, to the end of national prominence. Isaiah 42, 6, Israel. Light to the nations. Acts 13, 47, Israel. Light to the nations. Genesis 12, blessed to be a blessing. And now we come to the church age, right? Post-nation of Israel. And we're told basically the same thing, only Jesus says it this way. Matthew chapter 5, you are what? The light, you're the light of the world, right? And so you're called to be this light shining out into the world. And, and, and so let me put it another way. If Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the he I, Christ, am the headwaters of all joy, all justice, all reconciliation, all healing, blessing, forgiving, peacemaking, beauty, hope, then I'm telling you, by virtue of my life in you, because I, Christ, now reside in you, you are the light of the world. Okay? And, and, and so now you're called <clears throat> to spill out into the world. Because as, what does light do? Watch this. Light shines on whatever is in front of it. In other words, hear me, light is never tribal. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like light doesn't choose who will be the object of its light. 
Light is just light, and it shines on whoever's there. My, uh, I had a light go out in the bathroom in the little house that I occupied down here in the, in the city. So I got home there last night, and by the time I went into the, into the bathroom, it was dark. I turned the light on, and there's no light. So I go steal a light bulb out of a different device uh, because I don't have any light bulbs. And I put, because the bathroom light's pretty important, right? Then I put a light, put the light, I unscrew the globe, put the light on, put the globe back on, and I flip the light on, and magically, the light shines what? On me. But here, this is what I want you to see. Any of you could go to that bathroom. It's not an invitation. It's just a <laughs> metaphorical, theoretical idea. And you go to that bathroom, and the light would shine on you. In other words, who does, who does the light shine on? It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, homeowner, renter, homeless, gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, Pentecostal, atheist, Buddhist, light shines on you. So now Jesus is saying this, you, by virtue of my life in you, you are light. And the purpose of light is that you would go out in the world and shine, shine, shine in order that people would be the recipients of the blessing of nothing less than resurrected Jesus shining through you to everyone, irregardless of any belief system, right? So when, when this works, we're not tribal. We're not kind of protectionist. When this works, it's led to radical hospitality. You th picture the Benedictines who built monasteries high up in the Swiss Alps and offered hospitality to anyone who came by. Anybody. It, doesn't matter. it didn't matter their worldview, their religious belief, their, whether they had money or not. Every person who came to them, they served as if they were Jesus. Light shining indiscriminately. This is very, very important. Radical courage uh, displayed in La Chambon, this village in France where my wife and I visited uh, two years ago. Because they sheltered... Um, over the period of the war, over 2,500 Jews in, the, in, this, in, this tiny, in this tiny village. And the, the Christians were showing the Jews, regardless of faith orientation, because this is the right thing to do. We will bless you in Jesus' name. Franciscans, radical hospitality. Uh, creation of glorious art and music for the whole world to see, done in Jesus' name. Agros. Uh, in Central America, World Relief in Rwanda, Aurora Commons, all of these things are like the common good, Christians allowing light to shine. So that when it works, then light shines on whoever. When it doesn't work, uh, and we see it in church history, the church functions more like a black hole than like light. Because the church, when it doesn't work, the church says basically, hey, if you come to us, if you think like us, if you vote like us, if you look like us, then you can be part of us. And it's ironic because that's anti-light, right? It, it ends up being exclusionary. There was a magazine that I got for many years uh, for pastors, and it had pastor cartoons, kind of like the New Yorker cartoons, only, only pastor humor, basically, right? And there's a, I'll never forget this sign outside of a church, whatever, whatever community church, and then this is what it says. Uh, inerrant Bible, pre-trib uh, rapture, dispensational, premillennial, no women in ministry, anti-homosexual, anti-divorce, and under, under that, in big capital letters, all are welcome. As you see the irony in that? It's like saying, yeah, yeah, hey, come as you are. No, except not really. Come and think like us, look like us, be like us. This is not light shining. 
So, so the disciples are interested in the recapturing of like this ascendant community where we're the winners. And Jesus is saying it's the wrong, entirely the wrong paradigm, entirely. Recovery of our cultural prominence is not a Christian value. It never has been. So, so if the question is, you know, when are we evangelicals going to be on top again? Wrong, wrong question. Jesus' response, hey, you serve a higher kingdom. You're citizens of a different king, right? Philippians 2, our citizenship is in heaven. We have, we have an entirely different kingdom. This is what got people killed in the first century because Christians would not say this simple phrase, Caesar is Lord. They wouldn't say it. No, we have a higher king. That's it. So uh, you have this calling to shine as light and the way you do that, the way you do that is you must then, number two, embrace your new identity. And your new identity is in verse 8. It says this, uh, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. Now, I'll make a quick observation here about the word witness. Witness here, just grammatically, both in Greek and in English, witness is not a verb. Do you understand what I mean by that? Witness is not something you do. Witness is a noun, which means witness is something you what? Are. You're a witness. Now, let's just kind of muse on that for a minute, because witness has, over, the, over a few generations here, mutated in Christian thinking uh, to a verb. Do you understand? Hey, did you witness Friday night? Which is code for, uh, did you, you know, did you go into, if you're in Canada, did you go into Victoria and, you know, unscrew somebody's head and put some Bible in and screw the head back on and, you know, and, and you know, there's objectives with witnessing. It's a project. Witnessing becomes, and then you become a project. It's like, I've got two questions I've got to ask you. I've got five truths I've got to tell you. I've got three tracks I've got to give you. Questions, check. Truths, check. Tracks, well, you only took four, but we'll call it a win, right? And then uh, we get back together over ice cream, and everyone asks a question, you know, how to go witnessing. Now with participle, but whatever. Still not a noun, right? How to go, how to go witnessing. As if it started, but now it's over. It's, here's the thing. It's never over because it never started because it isn't something you do. It's now who you are, right? And what we mean by that is uh, because you're in Christ, watch this, you have a new identity. There's some kind of dry ice in you already. Like, you're the bottle, now there's dry eyes. You are someone who's either seen or experienced something profound by virtue of an encounter with Christ, and it's changed you, and that is your witness. That's your witness. Something happened to you, it's continuing to happen to you, and, and it changes the way you actually live your life, changes your priorities, changes the way you encounter neighbors and friends and enemies, and that change is your testimony, is your witness. It's exhibit A of the kingdom of God. It's Mother Teresa who's kind of convinced that, you know what? I'm called to the poor. The poorest of the poor. And that calling is her witness. It's Major Thomas who was going to be a doctor and then becomes an evangelist. That's, that's his, his transformation is his witness. It's John Newton who was a slave trader and then comes to Christ and then is no longer a slave trader. That's tra your transformation is your witness. It's Brother, it's Brother Lawrence who says, I peel potatoes, but I do it for the glory of God. That's my witness. Whatever you do, you're doing it entirely differently because you're infused with Christ. And then, you, when you say that Christ is the source, that's your testimony. And so you have a witness, your transformation, you have a testimony. 
And, 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 and so you need to understand something has happened to you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're new already. You're already new. Uh, you're no longer who you used to be. Spirit of God is born in you. You're fully forgiven, fully free, complete in Christ. You've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. You've been given spiritual gifts. You, you've, been, you've received the Holy Spirit already, Romans 8. So, so it's very important here that uh, we understand we have a new identity as witnesses. We, Christ lives in us. Uh, there, up here, and when we have a response time, there's a whole sheet of identity truths because many of us are kind of self-selecting out of God's story, convinced that we're not worthy. Wrong. You're believing lies. You need to stand in who you are in Christ. You have a new identity. You are a witness, right? And then, here's the thing that we need to see. Uh, Jesus tells them, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Now, we're just going to pause here because this is an interesting question. In John 20, uh, Pre-Acts 1.8, chronologically, Jesus is risen from the dead. There's 12 disciples. And it's John 20, 22, this is what it says. Jesus breathed on them and said what? You know, receive the Holy Spirit. So all the disciples already have the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit. And yet, Jesus says here, Acts 1, go back to Jerusalem and wait. And look what it says. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, verse 8. So you have the Holy Spirit, but now... What you need is you need the Holy Spirit to come up on you, in a sense. And it's kind of a question, well, what does it mean if I already have the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit come upon me? And I think it's a very important question for, for all of us to kind of ponder in this room. <clears throat> because we, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we have kind of these, like, I want to say explosive moments. <clears throat> and by explosive, I don't necessarily mean you know, profound emotions. I don't necessarily mean that. I simply mean uh, when the Holy Spirit comes up on us, there's a revelation that leads to some kind of action and transformation, some kind of revelation when the Holy Spirit comes in power. So you are, you have this dry ice that is Christ and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you as water, and then boom, there's a, there's a thing that happens. This is maybe new to some of you, but what it means is we live in this posture of availability, and when we live in a posture of availability, then there are times when the Holy Spirit just speaks to us. Boom. Yeah, one example. Last week, we had the 8 a.m. service here, and it was over, and people were leaving, and all of you were coming in. And as you know, when you're coming in and they're leaving, it's super crowded out there, right? The big crowd in the foyer. And I, so I was done, and I'm leaving, uh, and I want to... All I want is coffee. I'm just going across the street. That's it. There's so many people, and I'll talk to people, whatever, it's fine. But, um, but I, saw, I, I, saw, I saw someone, I'd never seen this person before, I just saw this person, and the Holy Spirit, I will say this, the Holy Spirit came upon me and said quite loudly, go speak to that person. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit says, go talk to that guy, or you see somebody, give that person money, or you see somebody, you, go say to that person, you're called to ministry. Whatever it is, like the Spirit speaks to you, and you need to go out and you need to respond to that. That's the thing. Are you with me so far? So I'm out there, and then, and then I, I, the Holy Spirit says, go talk to that guy who I've never seen before. So I walk up to him and I said, hi, um, glad you're here. What's your name? Can I help you? Well, pretty interesting. This guy goes, oh, well, I'm glad that 
were chatting, uh, I was driving by, heading home, and because of the traffic people out here, and the, the traffic stopped, I said, oh, you know, whatever, I'm just going to go to church. And I, so I pulled in, right? So, uh, yeah, whatever. And then, and, then, uh, and then I came and he said, yeah, you know, I kind of wept through the, the sermon actually because uh, I was uh, one of the first responders in the crane accident the, the day before. And then we were like, you know, talk a little bit and that kind of thing. And I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit spoke to him. I'm so grateful the Holy Spirit arranged that meeting. Do you understand what I'm saying? And does this, does this happen? Yeah, happens. Now, I'm going to be very careful here with my language. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens. But it happens, listen, by virtue of availability and learning to wait. Like I'm listening for the Holy Spirit, and then, and then it happens. Uh, we had somebody who had a heart attack in here a few weeks ago. A guy, after the 8 a.m. service, came and shared with me. He said, um, I would not coming to church that Sunday morning that that guy had a heart attack. I was not coming to church. He's a nursing student. And then um, I woke up 15 minutes before the service was supposed to start. And I had the strong urge to go to church. And he stand, we were just right there 20 minutes ago. He said, Richard, I never have strong urgings to go to church. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so I went to church. And I, then I sat by this guy. And then this guy wasn't breathing. And I knew it. And then I started CPR. <laughs> and then, yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, how often is God trying to speak to you so that you can have impact, but you're not hearing? This is why Jesus says, hey, go wait. Go wait. But don't just wait. When the Holy Spirit speaks, act. Right? Why? John 3. This, this is the way the Holy Spirit works. It's, Jesus says in John 3, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is like wind. And wind blows wherever it wants to blow. And you don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's going. Oh, so it will be with everyone when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Isn't that interesting? You become increasingly attuned to the Spirit's voice through inner promptings, so you move when God moves, you stay when God stays, you speak when God says speak, you're silent when God says shut up, you confront when God says confront that person, you forgive, you open your wall, you give, you move to India, whatever. But without the Spirit, you have Christ, but you're, hey, you're dry ice without water. There's no bomb, there's no power. So now you know answers, and you know, you can argue, but this is not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Some of us are afraid of this stuff because I'll be blunt. Um, I mean, I'm your pastor, you know, I love you. But we're a super educated community. And we as educated people, we want to A, understand everything, and B, we want to be in control all the time. And Jesus is saying here regarding the Holy Spirit, hey, sometimes the wind blows and you don't even understand what's going on. And you need to be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Otherwise, you will miss a transformative power expressed through you that will change the world. So, what does that look like? Well, Dwight Moody, he was the founder of Moody Bible Institute. He was a pastor, evangelist in Chicago. A, 
he's saved. B, he's smart. C, uh, he's preaching hard. But then D, he, like he was, there were these meetings at the YMCA, nightly meetings, and he went, obviously he's preaching, and after each night, two women would come up to him, free Methodist women, who came up to him. One was named, or called Auntie Cook. He never even learned her name, Auntie Cook. And the other one was Mrs. Snow. And these, after, so after each sermon, these two women would come up to Mr. Moody and say, we're praying for you. Monday night, Tuesday night. On Wednesday night, he was like this, why are you praying for me? I'm saved. They go, well, we're praying for you because you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your preaching. And he goes, what do you mean? Is it not good preaching? They go, oh, it's really good. There's people here. It's great. So the point isn't good. The point isn't, like, is it noteworthy? You know, I mean, literally, like, are people taking notes? That's not the point. The point is, unless the Holy Spirit is infused in it, there's no transformation. Like, it's stolen away. And so, Moody, like, we're praying for you so that you're not wasting your time filling people's heads with knowledge rather than pointing people to Jesus. So then, Thursday night, he comes back. He says, don't pray with me. Or don't pray for me. Pray with me. And then they start praying together. Thursday night, Friday night. And a couple weeks later, he's in New York City. And he's walking on Wall Street, like the literal financial district of New York. He's walking on Wall Street. Middle of the day, and he says, it happened. The power of God fell on me away I never had before. He said, from that moment forward, his preaching was different. Boy, that story both encourages and haunts me. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like encourages, yeah, the Holy Spirit can come in powerful ways and transform me and you. What's haunting? He was, he'd preached for years without it. That haunts me. What haunts you? You could come here for years. Know Christ. Have been baptized. Have every right answer and still miss profound work God wants to do through you because you're not waiting, actively waiting, expecting the Holy Spirit to do this. Boom! You're not expecting to hear from God in a significant way. And then if you don't expect it, nothing happens, right? And I'll just say, we're weak here as a church. We're strong in our Christology. We're good on Bible stuff. But we're afraid of excesses. I get it. We're afraid of losing control. But the Bible's quite clear on this uh, in Ephesians. Don't quench the Spirit. In other words, uh, don't put a cap on what God wants to do. And like, don't, if the Holy Spirit, in my analogy, if, if, you, if Christ is the dry ice, and don't take this too far, it's just for a moment, okay? But if the Holy Spirit is dry ice, and, uh, if Jesus is dry ice and the Holy Spirit is water, don't put a cap on, no, no Holy Spirit. No, because like you might have me come forward. Or you might, like you might tell me to go pray for Eli. I don't want, I don't even know Eli. No, I, I'll do stuff that I've done before. But no Holy Spirit. Like if you're change averse, this is terrifying. But I'm telling you, unless the cap is removed, then God can never provide what's needed for you to live in the fullness of what God has for you. So I don't know what God has for you. All I'm asking you to do is unscrew the cap and be open, 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 right? 
This is, we want to do this. So that leads to the third thing. He's, in, he's inviting them, the disciples, to a new way of doing life. The disciples are told uh, to not wait and not do anything until they receive power. So there's this belief that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and active. The Spirit is f- uh, filling and healing and guiding and empowering. The Spirit is fire for our cold hearts, oil for our wounded soils, light for the, our darkness, water for our thirst, meaning and peace and freedom. So, so we're invited here to be like children uh, who are expecting the Holy Spirit to speak to us at various times in our lives. And we can't control the when, but we should have this attitude, do you hear me, of expectancy. God will speak to me and I will receive it as from God and I'll take a step and that's where the power of God becomes released in our lives. We're, we should be, in this sense, like children at Christmas. My granddaughter, who's three, I think is now old enough to know that Christmas is coming, right? So I think, you know, once a tree goes up and there's lights and, and different songs and stockings hanging, she knows, she doesn't know when, but she knows. Like she's, she didn't read a calendar yet. But she knows something's coming. And so she's, do you understand? She's actively waiting. Ah, some, wait a minute. <laughs> ah, something cool is going to happen. I don't know what it is. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. Boom. We're not doing that. And I'm generalizing. Not, we don't have an attitude of expectancy regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't have, we don't have that expectancy then we're actually not waiting. And if we're not waiting, then we're too often acting out of our own power. So if you wonder what this looks like, um, it's just an openness, basically. Let me kind of explain. I'll explain by sharing to you exactly what happened yesterday. So uh, this week was very, very busy for me. And because of that, I was wearing my sermon yesterday morning. I had a deadline of... Um, 5.30, because the Warriors begin playing at 5.30. I would have been willing to relinquish the deadline, but I, my goal was to finish by then. Anyway, so I'm, I'm working on this sermon, and I'm also carrying stuff emotionally, quite a bit of stuff, actually. Big decisions, big fears, big questions, feeling stuck in a couple areas of my life, feeling overwhelmed in some others. And now, listen, hear me. I'm your pastor. I know Christ. I know my identity in Christ. I know how to study the Bible. I know Greek. I'm okay at Hebrew. I can preach, but I carry stuff. And I was carrying stuff yesterday. So I'm kind of confused, kind of weary, a little stressed out. And so while I'm uh, studying, I'm listening to piano music on Pandora. You guys know Pandora? And I I know that I need to let go of some stuff. Uh, There's just some things I'm carrying that I shouldn't be carrying. So as I'm studying, this song comes on. Now listen to this. That's it. So just, it'll play in the background just for a second. And this, I don't know, I'd never heard the song before. I'd never, now it's happening again. I'd never heard the song. And I knew, Richard, drop everything and listen to this. And And I started listening. And I was like this, man, I'm carrying a lot of stuff. I am carrying stuff and I need to rest and relinquish. I just need to. I just need to. So, I thought, I wonder what this song is. 
I look at my phone and the title song, Let Go. And I go, are you kidding me? That's the title of the song. So, you know, we live up in the mountains. I got a wood stove. I just sat there, watched the fire. Let myself be held. And it made me a hadn't for a while. That's the, whole, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? And out of that came a letting go. And I wrote a bunch of stuff down. God, I'm letting go of this fear. I'm letting go of this anxiety. I'm letting go of this, this guilt. I'm letting go of this confusion. And I'll just tell you, as a result of that moment, a flood of peace. A flood of peace. Wait, thank you. You can hear more on Pandora. <laughs> Look, the key isn't the music. The key is this. I'm haunted by Ezekiel 9 through 12, and here's why. In Ezekiel 9 through 12, uh, God's people gather like this in a building, and, they, and they, we do it every Sunday. It's great. Oh, yeah, this is what we do. Good, good music, decent preaching, bills are paid. It's all good. Except one problem in Ezekiel 9 to 12, uh, the Spirit is gone. <laughs> that haunts me. Because if we don't have the Holy Spirit freely able to invade us, then we got nothing. Does that make sense? So I, today, uh, we're just going to take a moment and do something we don't usually do, have an extended response where the Holy Spirit has a freedom to speak to you. And there's a re possible responses in here, in your bulletin. I'm going to encourage you at the very beginning to just listen. Just, so I just the Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? And then maybe the Spirit shows you something. Maybe it's a sin you need to confess, a burden you need to let go of. You can come out and use a prayer book. Maybe you need to pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Prayer team's here. Maybe you have a word for our community. There's index cards up here. Maybe you're dealing with shame and you need to reestablish your identity in Christ. There's identity in Christ sheets up here. Maybe you need to pray for your neighbors or your spouse or your marriage. Prayer team, prayer book. I don't know what your response is, but I know this. Uh, we're called not just at, you know, one Sunday every four years to do this, but we're called to do this. This is our, this is our life. We're available for the Holy Spirit. Wait! Because what you want is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to just take some moments now and respond. And as God speaks to you, I'm inviting them to publicly respond. And if you have to get up out of your thing, it's no problem. Uh, because when you publicly respond, you're saying to the whole community, God is at work in this community. And nobody needs to know what you're saying, but just your physical response is, is, is saying to us, yes, God is speaking. And then that encourages you to be open to, to further response in the future. May this be our future together, a, a, a community with hands open. Like, kind of like, we don't know when Christmas is coming, but if it's today, we don't want to miss it because we want open hands. Jesus, meet us now. The way you met me last uh, Sunday, talking to that guy, the way you met that nursing student, the way you met me yesterday, I invite you to meet us now and give us the courage and grace to respond. We pray in your name. Amen.